Welcome to a Lunch with Biggie, a podcast about small business and creatives sharing their stories and inspiring you. My guest today is a butcher, a bit of a baker, and definitely a noodle maker. He's part of a dynamic duo that's popping up and taking our mouths into an exploration of everything that they love about noodles, homemade and from scratch. Please welcome the co-owner of Red Panda Noodle, Elliot Hillis. What's going on, man? What's going on? I think technically now we're a, a thruple. There's three of us now. Oh, okay, a thruple. Jen. I like yeah. it. Who, so who, Jen, what's Jen's name? Jen? Jen Silva. Uh, Jen Silva. She's our everything that's not what Seth and I do. Okay. Catch all. I love it. Uh, she's like our goalie. Okay. Stop everybody from talking to us and shit. So, <laughs> well, I appreciate you taking the time to come and have lunch with me, just especially since of the fact that you, uh, you're nonstop and going everywhere. Um, first question I always ask, what's your, uh, go-to favorite sandwich lunch? Thought about this a lot, man. Got to go jam hot chicken. Okay. Jam hot level. Yeah. Uh, you smack that carton of milk out of their hand. You order a liquid death sparkling water. And that's lunch. All right. Do you go with the fries or anything like that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I have to go with fries. Yeah. I love, uh, you, you okay with crinkle cut? It's my least favorite, but I mean, it's like, I want, cause I want a, a crunchy outside and a fluffy potato inside. Mm-hmm. And so like for a lot of that stuff, you need, um, either a thicker fry or I don't know, for some reason, like a, the crinkle cuts never do it. Do it the right way. Do you like a steak cut? Like you like a, a pretty much anything else. Even the terrible old school. I don't know if you remember this. The old school crystals fries yeah. that were like an abomination unto uh-huh. the Lord. Yeah, those. I still enjoyed those for what they were. Okay. So, so just to tell a little bit about your culinary background oh that has led to you, Seth and Jen, to creating Red Panda Noodle. Strangely enough, the story of Red Panda predates uh orlando meats that's and that's something that i was curious about like you've had that you've had this in your head for a while yeah and i was actually pitched as red panda and we were trying to go into the um i was thinking of it as the old scratch location but it's been a half a dozen months it's a tin and taco now uh the corner where rollins is mm-hmm. um and we were actually in negotiations to take that spot when we were at seth and i were at um smiling bison at the time and we were with a baker we were looking to take this spot and do whatever and it was going to be like a good cherry deal and then you know how business works it just falls through and then one thing leads to another we open orlando meats and then five years <laughs> five years come in and um we had made uh we had we had been in loose conversation to do red panda again right before the pandemic um and then we had been again a different stylistically different version of red panda was also planned for 2021 and we had made it all the way to the finding a building phase and then people backed out and whatever it was a different concept but it was essentially a version of red panda okay um and then now uh this is what the third (laughs) the third try fourth try something like that what first why the name red panda okay so uh it's a cool animal um when i fell in love with them in uh, 2015, 2014, I was in the, uh, the Paris zoo and I got to see them in real life. And it was just like, wow, these things are like, they're, they're like too cute for their own good. (laughs) They're just lazy and kind of just food incentivized. But they're ferocious a little bit, right? They can be when they, it's like, they're, they're like a more advanced version of a bunny in that, like, you know, the whole phrase, like even a bunny that's cornered will get, will attack. It's Mm -hmm. like that. But their their first defense mechanism is like this playful like stand up and make themselves look big and they you know flash their claws or whatever. But they will 
they will tear the shit out of you if you if you mess with them. Okay. So, so you do it all. Okay. I, I know try. you've done, you've gone from like snout to tail butchering, mm-hmm. you know, the culinary director, you've done personal chef, mm-hmm. um, you've done pizza, you've done catering, you're doing noodles, you've done like the 15 course meal type stuff. Yeah. Um, I'm always intrigued by the fact that you guys, you guys do so many of these different things. And is it, do you do it just because you're kind of, as you go and you're creating, cause obviously I don't know. Like I, I see you now, like you just kind of like, you're always, there's always an idea mm-hmm. and then you're always kind of looking at like, I want to put my, my take on this concept. Mm-hmm. And, but then I also feel like it's also kind of all over the place sometimes. So like my, like in, at least in my sense, like I don't, and that's why I'm kind of curious of how your brain works right. and how you kind of go from project to project. And is it like a, one of those where you're like, Hey, I'm going to do this for a little bit and then kind of go from there to ju- and then it kind of leans in or you just kind of, either are fault, you know, sometimes, you know, things happen where, you know, the way the market is and things like that, that kind of do it. Um, I mean, we look at things very holistically. Um, I don't know if you ever watched like Dirk Gently's holistic detective agency or Mm -hmm. any of that stuff. No, he's whatever. It doesn't, I'm not going to take up your time with this, but check out Dirk Gently's holistic detective agency. Got it. It basically comes down to the point of, uh, I always take meetings. So like if somebody comes to me with an idea or like an opportunity, I never say no out of hand. I'll always be like, yeah, let's hear you out, whatever. And then I take that to the people that I have to, you know, my family, like business family, whatever you want to call it. And I talk it out and go, does this work? Does everybody want to do this? Does this sound sound fun? Yeah, fine. I mean, that's how we ended up with recess. That's how we ended up with uh, a few dozen other projects that we worked on. That's how we opened up catering and all this other stuff. The the private chef thing was uh, I met... a a person at Orlando meets and they're like, can you just make me some like grilled vegetables or whatever? Like, yeah, we'll saute something. We made something and she was so impressed by it. She was like, Hey, uh, you know, can you cook for my family? And I was like, yeah, fine. Sure. And then she referred me to another family and then another family and another family. And, uh, we topped out. Um, we can't provide (laughs) any more, but, um, so we're cooking for, you know, two to three families a week um two to ten meals depending on what's going on and um you know we do their holiday food and stuff and it's something that's um i don't want to call it passive income but it's much easier than like the the fight of service yeah you know i can just sit around and kind of like Mm -hmm. make this and that and like package it up and blah blah blah, and then deliver their meals and we're good to go um and so we try to push ourselves in every direction that it it feels right to go yeah. and run it to its logical conclusion. And then at such point as it terminates, we just go, all right, well, we have more time on our hands. What do you want to do now? And I love that, though. Yeah. I think I think that's what I love about it. That's why I was kind of curious on how it kind of goes, because like I figured I figured there was something that obviously kind of leads to it. And you're just like, I'm going to go here now and I'm going right. to do this. And then after I do this, I'm going to go there. And I think that sometimes there's um i don't i can pretty much tell you that i at least from my from seeing you and from you know our interactions you're definitely not afraid of failure <laughs> uh that's like not even a thing you're like oh, uh, i don't care i'll just like you know get up see what happens yeah i'll wipe myself off i dust myself off and i go to the next thing and that's something that's you know that's that's hard when you're doing when you're starting a business sometimes well the thing that's been so encouraging is that any any um venture that we've been in and even the manage or the restaurants that we managed before we opened orlando meats um for all the failings that we've seen along the way, no one has ever been like, your food is trash. Correct. <laughs> it's always like, oh, we don't have enough money for servers, or we don't have this, or we don't have that, or your decor looks like garbage, or whatever. And it's like, fair enough. <laughs> now I learned that lesson. But at least we have the food part down. You know what I mean? And so 
I mean, like, uh, you know, when the producers of television shows come and stuff and they're like, hey, do you want to do this or do that? It's always a yes. And um, we get our name out there and that exposes us to more opportunities. Um, but I think that the core of being, I mean, villainously uh, connected to the food, and that's the only thing that we protect. You know what I mean? Like our intellectual property, it means the world to us and where we express ourselves means the world to us. And so everything else is negotiable, but leave, this is, this is what we care about. This is what it is. And people overwhelmingly respond positively to our food. Yeah. Everything else, again, you know, people not, may not like my, uh, general public behavior or attitude or whatever, or they might not like the decor of a certain restaurant that we run. But I hope that our food is uh, beyond reproach. Yeah, no, that's something that obviously um, I've always enjoy everything you make. So Thank you. you're definitely all, you guys are all about the nudes. So you guys mm-hmm. are all, you know, lo mein, udon, was it bian bang? You have like, and so many other, <laughs> yeah, like yeah. how many other, like, where did you get, like, is this just something that you guys are just like totally into? You guys were doing handmade noodles at Orlando Meats mm-hmm. before. And, obviously, and at the Bison before that. And at the Bison. And I mm-hmm. know that you obviously, obviously this was a concept that you've been wanting to do for a while, but has it, what is it about the noodle and, and making handmade noodles and being able to do this type of stuff that you're looking to, um, you know, one as culinary, I guess, speak to us culinary wise. Right. Um, what are you trying to, what, you know, what is it that, uh, that you love about the doing noodles? No, the, uh, it basically boils down to we've over time we've tried to mature you know everybody does in their career in their life whatever and as we've pared down the things that maybe don't matter so much you know these like advanced plating because I'm, I'm not sure how long you've been eating with us but like when we were at um, at smiling bison towards the end of our tenure we had taken a very advanced and fine dining approach to plating and because it's just a thing we were interested in. And so we were doing it and like we pushed ourselves with the degustations. We're doing 18 courses and everything's being plated by tweezers. And, and at the same time, you've got a bison burger flying by the side of your head. And it's a very, you know, interesting thing. And so over time, that falls away. Do you really want to plate like that anymore? Eh, no, whatever. Like, what do we like and what does, what works and what excites us? And it came down to like a, a very select few number of things that we started working from. And a lot of... A lot of what spoke to us from from a noodle standpoint, why noodles, is not only the infinite variation, but just the pure science of it is so interesting. I mean, we produce our noodles under a vacuum so that they have a greater chew and a greater bite. We basically cause the the water, while it's mixed in the dough, we cause the water to boil at room temperature because it's in a vacuum. And so that creates a glutamic structure that you can't achieve otherwise. And so we stumbled upon, we call it, it's plasticine dough is what we refer to it as. But like, um, that produces a noodle that can't be done any other, no matter what you do, right? So um, once we had that under our belt and we started exploring other things like the Yopo Chamian, the Bian Bian noodles, like those were just such a cool thing to learn. And like um, the Dao Jing Mian, which is like a hand cut noodle, those things like you have to have a special tool you have to have special skills you have to learn this thing and it's almost like um i don't want to say doomsday prepper but like we're collecting skills that we can produce all of these different things and so like um i mean we have an entire catalog of skills in the italian pasta set that we just don't express because it's not what we're working on right now but like um that's where it comes from is like oh you see this cool thing awesome let's learn it like work, learning how to work with um, mung bean noodles, jelly noodles. Is a, I mean, 
we ate them at a at my favorite restaurant at Chuan Lu. They had it in a salad. I was like, oh, this is awesome. I looked it up on YouTube. This is how you do it. Learn how to execute it. It was on the menu in like two days. We refined it and then we put it in the book. Okay, this is something else we can do. And um, that's basically how it goes. And it just it just seemed to funnel itself over time into this very very specific, aggressive, um, noodle driven behavior to the point to the exclusion of everything else essentially um and so by the point where we were actually ready for red panda to take you know take its first steps we had a very focused view of what we were going to do um and how we were going to roll it out because we we even knew look we're nerds like <laughs> nobody's going to really care about a lot of the finer points of what we want to do so we need to please the crowd we need to to excite the palate of those people that aren't trying to eat jellyfish and aren't necessarily trying to do all the weird nonsense that we get up to. And so from its very inception, I mean, we're doing pork belly lo mein, we're doing a garlic noodles, those things that are approachable in a way. I mean, obviously we kind of fucked them up a little bit and made them our own, but yeah. like the, sorry for cursing. No, it's fine. Um, but the, uh, but the, the soul of the, of the dish is there. That's recognizable that if you went to the mall in the early two thousands and you had bourbon chicken, our version of bourbon chicken is just the adult version of that. It's the one that's done with intention and care. Um, and, and so we do that for, you know, the 80, 20, the Gillette rule, 80% of your sales are going to be that. And it's certainly reflected like our garlic noodles and our pork belly lo mein is our two biggest sellers by a country mile. Yeah. And then everything else, it goes in order of approachability. Like you can literally, it's the Pareto distribution. So you have those two dishes and then right behind it, it's the Yopo Chamien because of novelty and then literally everything else, whatever, it doesn't matter. Um, and then, so we just keep playing with the everything else. We, we just change those slots out. We, if it's not selling or it falls behind for a couple of weeks, we switch it out. We have a list I don't know, 40, 50 pages long of ideas that some are complete dishes. Some are just like one component of a dish. We're yeah. going to build it around. Some are just like weird jokes that we've made. And like, can we make this into a dish or like stupid quotes from Hamilton? Like, is this a dish? <laughs> so are we doing this? I love, but I love that though. I love the yeah. fact that you're finding that balance. I also love the fact that you understand the fact that as like a chef, you understand that obviously not everyone's going to be as adventurous and sometimes right. you need to play the classics. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's, I think that's something that's kind of uh, interesting to me when it comes to that. I, I always like to oh, ask a side note. Uh, we just invented our first and we're still in the process of verifying this, but we invented a new dish never done as far as we can tell. Um, we call it a uh, which is uh, means like grilled books in Mandarin. Okay. Um, it's a f it's a folded noodle I that's been grilled this. on an agaton style grill, and it's covered in mayonnaise and uh, rao song, a uh, roast song, sorry, uh, pork floss. And like, I can't. I've I've looked up, tried to find equivalents, and it just doesn't exist. So like, it was interesting. And this is just blowing our own horn or whatever. But if in fact we invented this new thing, uh, I mean, it's weird to think like we created a new dish that's in in Orlando and like I can point to the day that it happened and I can point to the reasons why this dish exists and if people do their own ver I would love nothing more than to get ripped off by a bunch of people like uh you know what I mean so uh that's what we live for like to be able to not a, when we when we do the more esoteric stuff like when we design our own style of noodles that's cool but something that's replica uh, is repeatable and 
they could pay homages and they could learn what we did and repeat them and change them and and make better dishes make cooler stuff i mean i'm all about it i'll teach people whatever it's not hard to figure out what we did but whatever like um that's that's what that's what we live for that was a, a really really amazing moment and that happened like a week ago <laughs> Yeah, I actually saw, I was looking at that on your Instagram. Yeah. I was like, what the heck is this? I'm like, I've never had this before. I'm like... No one has. Yeah, no, that's amazing. How how did you and Seth meet? And then my other part is like, mm-hmm. how is it that you guys, like what's you, you guys like yin and yang to each other? Or are you guys pretty much very similar? Like how does it, because obviously I know you mentioned Jen, you're, you're a goalie now. So yeah. my question is like, how did, when the two of you are together, I mean, obviously it's like a force, but... How does that work? Uh, well, first off, we met at Smiling Bison. Uh, our anniversary is uh, January 21st, uh, 2016 is when we met. And uh, we both got the job about a week apart. Seth started before me. And uh, he was working saute. I had staged at the Bison before, and but I went to go work in the Keys for a while. I came back, and um, the, the sous chef at the time was leaving. And there was another guy that was already set to become a sous chef. And I made it my goal to become the sous chef after him. I was like, all right. Um, and so Seth and I, these kids, it makes me sad, but like the competitiveness in the kitchen is has died down quite a bit. But Seth and I were at each other's throats okay. when we first met because we were competing for the same job. Yeah. And because everybody wanted to be in charge. Everybody wanted to be the best. And so like we were working and working and working. Um, and really at the time, the only thing that, that caused me to win over Seth, or not win, but to take the position over Seth is that I stopped sleeping. So I would go into work at seven o'clock in the morning and I would be there till 11 o'clock at night and I would, you know, work on my days off and I, I just wanted it more, I guess. Um, but once I took over, um, his value became readily apparent because you always need someone that can complete your thoughts and help you to do that. And that's, we filled that role for each other because I'm more on the ethereal side of things, general concepts, these flavors, these profiles, this noodle, this thing. I can work on the the inventive mechanics or the inventive uh, poetry of the work, or the art of the work. And Seth is the more mechanical side of it. So even in the production of that grilled noodle, my original concept was technically sound, but it was ugly and it was hard to grill. It was very, very um, kind of not delicate, but it was just a little floppy, whatever. Yeah. Seth looked at it, goes yeah cool but if you just do this do this all right and i'm like fuck it try it go and then he we have the grill outside and we just put it on the grill yep perfect done what do you want to do mayonnaise all right cool like that was it and and we have a you know both of he and i have the the duke's mayo tattoo on our legs yep. and, uh we were devotees of, of largely the same stuff and the division of labor is literally left brain right brain you know what I mean? So I'm right-brained. I'm more creative and more open to like the like the fluid nature of the world, and I'm always accepting all these different things. And then whatever preconcept I come to, Seth will take it and go, "All right, that's cool." And like this is how it could be better. This is how it's better for service if we, you know, pick it up this way and hold it this way and do this. I'm like, "All right, cool." Um, and that's that's been the whole of our relationship for the past six or seven years, whatever yeah. the hell it is. Six years, seven years. Six, six years. Six years. Yeah. No, that's amazing, man. I yeah. think that's absolutely uh, amazing. I always like to ask chefs to, I'm going to ask you two versions of this question. Bristle one, with the word. One is, what's your at-home sandwich making advice or tip that you would recommend someone at home? Someone who's not a chef that's making a sandwich at home. Get good equipment. Seriously. Residential equipment is terrible. 
like good equipment like what hand tools pans pots everything always buy commercial stuff it's not only cheaper it's of better quality it'll last longer it'll stand up to the abuse and you can do more things with it so like for example um people use like a butter knife for making like a peanut butter and jelly perfect example now whatever that butter knife costs is irrelevant because you're you're eating dinner whether you're actually spreading butter get yourself an atico palette knife Right, it's an icing knife. There's a little thing. It's got a little wooden handle. I was just gonna tell you use one of my Deli Fresh Dreads uh, sandwich oh, yeah. spreaders, but that no, one works no. I have that I'll, one. I'll give you one. Of the, I'll give you another one of those. No, but, I have no, no. It's an abandoned. My all the logos robed off now. I've yeah, had it for so I long. know, I know. But uh, in the absence of yeah, 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 of yeah. having uh, Biggie's tool, um, just get stuff. So like, uh, I only use carbon pans at my house, okay. and they're they're like seventeen bucks. But the equivalent steel pan. Uh, all clad like a really it's like 200 bucks like why are you doing this to yourself go to go to webstaurant or go to um um chef's where not chef's warehouse what the hell is restaurant it? depot restaurant not restaurant the other one uh restaurant equipment warehouse yeah you can get so much good equipment buy a fish spatula that is meant for restaurants buy uh you know tongs that are meant for restaurants and they will outlast anything you can get from target anything you can get from uh what's that fancy smancy one that has uh william sonoma william sonoma yeah Okay. Just buy good equipment. And it's usually cheaper, um, no matter what medium you want to work in. What about, that's tools. Mm-hmm. What about, like, actually, like, is there uh, any, execution? do you recommend anything on, like, things that people don't do or should do that you think would take their sandwich to the next level if they're making something once they get, like, all the the tools and everything that for it? I think my two things, or maybe it's just one thing, really, uh, push it to the limit. Okay. Right? So... Um, I don't know. Can we advocate for drug use on the show? No, don't. Uh, whatever, whatever state of mind you want to be in, uh, prepare to open yourself to new possibilities. So, like going back to the peanut butter and jelly thing. Yeah, that's a very simple sandwich, and the sum is greater than the uh, individual pieces, right? So, what if you add something? What if you take something away? I mean, like I think it was like two months ago or whatever. There was a bunch of nut butters on sale at Publix, uh-huh. and I just bought the whole line of whatever they had. And it was like, so I'm just like slowly working through. I've got this nature's own crappy wheat bread or whatever, yeah. and and Welch's grape jelly. And so like that's a good blank slate to like try these other nut butters. How does this work? How does that work? Whatever. The same thing goes when you go to the grocery store. Uh, grab an item, right? It helps if you go to a grocery store you're unfamiliar with, either an Asian market or a Spanish market. Those yeah. are amazing. Um, but go to a market and pick out one thing. Like you're a kid, like you get one toy. Pick out one thing that's that's foreign to you that you never tried before, that you never looked at or used, and try putting it in, in a sandwich. Try to put it as an ingredient in one of your things. It's yeah. even better if there's no English on the on the container. So you have it's just total freedom. Just like whatever. I mean. And I, I discovered so many amazing things that we still use today okay. as part of our general uh, palette of colors. There's this stuff called pickle sauce, superior pickle sauce. Pickle sauce. Right. It's a mistranslation. What it should be called is meat braising sauce, but it's not that. Like It's just called pickle sauce. And they have different versions of it, but we generally stick with the standard gold superior pickle sauce. It smells like straight death, but it's one of the most amazing umami and like it revives dishes in the same way that like a nice high acid thing. It's, it's, it's slightly acidic. It's salty. It's, I can't find much information about it and I just really haven't tried yeah. like that much, but it's, it's an amazing piece of our toolkit. Um, and I, I mean, 
I love pickle sauce, man. Okay. It's amazing. What about since you since we're in the world you're in the world of noodles, mm-hmm. what is it? And obviously, what do you recommend for someone making noodles at home? Obviously, you're probably going to tell them don't buy the box stuff, try to make it yourself. But is there any anything else that you can recommend that people are totally just butchering when you when they make noodles or make some form of pasta in at home? Oh, that's a very complex question. So, um, I first of all, if you if you make the decision to make noodles from scratch at home, um, you can't. You're always going to end up with something that you're going to be proud of, and you'll learn how to refine that over time. And my main um, uh, advice for them would just be stick with it, learn from your mistakes. Yeah. Uh, when it comes to like making pasta dishes at home, one of the things I notice a lot is people don't let their pans get hot enough. Mm-hmm. Like, so you, you boil your pasta, blah, blah, whatever. Try to make it not stick. The whole oil thing's dumb, whatever. And there's like a million different opinions on a subject. It's not worth getting into. It's like the whole hot dog sandwich, like, who cares, whatever. Yep. But uh, like, nobody makes my new pasta like my grandmother. Yeah, whatever, dude, fine. <laughs> sure. Uh, but but the general thing, like, let's say you're picking up like a cacio de pepe, right? Which is just uh, Parmesan cheese, pepper, uh, maybe a little wine to deglaze the pan and um, noodles, right? So the important part is to get that pan ripping hot. Use a carbon pan. Never use nonstick <laughs> unless you're talking about eggs. Use a carbon pan. Get it ripping hot so you can actually sear those noodles. And then you're going to have an entirely different experience because texturally, I mean, nobody does that at home. And I, I don't know why. It's not that hard. You just got to get a hot pan. Uh, take the batteries out of your smoke detector. <laughs> and open the windows because most uh, hoods can't gonna handle say, what's going it's on. It's going to be smoky as heck. I, I love it. Um, if you have gas, all the better, but you can do it on a glass top or a traditional coil stove. Um, just let it, just, just don't look. Don't look for like 45 seconds a minute. Let it get smoking and then throw your noodles in uh, with a little olive oil. It's, it's going to scorch. Just whatever. Just let it do it. I know. I know. It's, it's scorching. The olive oil is fine. You can use a neutral oil if you like, but whatever. So throw the olive oil in, throw the, it should be like four or 500 degrees. Um, smoking, noodles go in, toss, 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 pepper to toast, toss, 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 then cheese on top, done. And like, it's going to be so much different than if you went in with a Teflon pan and you like basically medium high or high heat and just kind of like, oh no, I hope I don't mess it up. And that's... <clears throat> Going back to the whole, the quote unquote, fearlessness of my behavior, like yeah. I don't care if I fail. More often than not, fortune favors the bold. So like if you're just going to go for something, just do it all the way and see what happens. And like either you fly or you get dashed upon the rocks, but at least you can hold your head up. And, and I don't mean to quote Benito Mussolini here, but like one day as a lion, you know what I mean? Is better than a lifetime as a sheep. Okay. I probably shouldn't no. quote fascist dictators, but <laughs> he's dead. It's fine. Got it. One uh one of the things that I um that I found to be really interesting that I I read that you've been one of the things and obviously you're currently right now in pop-up mode. I know mm-hmm. that the concept is to open a brick and mortar location. Um and, and obviously I know that'll come when uh but one of the things that caught my attention was that you um, and obviously I know that was one of the demises of kind of letting leading to Orlando meets and everything like that is obviously staffing. But one thing that I've never really seen too often is that you, your concept is the idea of having your staff, um, and putting them on salary. Yeah. Um, always, 
which I think is amazing because you're right. Like I don't, you don't ever, I don't, at least in my brain, I've never heard, I don't ever hear that. Um, or at least to kind of push that. So, um, can you talk a little bit about some of that? Like what made, what was one of the reasons why? Cause I mean, obviously I'm assuming that's not all positions as um, most all positions. Okay. <laughs> um, there's some wiggle room when it comes to front of the house stuff, just generally yeah. like split the tips or whatever, or they just get a salary that comes from the tips or yeah. however that works. I'm not a, like a money person, correct? but they get front of the house generally is left alone to, they get tips and that's, and then whatever yeah. wages. Um, but for back of the house, the, and again, this is like, a, I know it's not a popular stance to take anymore, but being so immersed in an environment, whatever that environment is, that you you know the from that you could be blindfolded and they could take you anywhere in that thing and touch your fingertips to a surface and you would tell them exactly where you are. And like being so immersed in an environment that you're connected to it in that way helps you to appreciate and to perform in that environment. Like just like any baseball team, their home team advantage or whatever, I don't know sports, but yeah. you know, the home team advantage thing or like, um, you know, I don't know if you work out, but you're probably more comfortable. Like I work, I go to climbing gyms a lot. Right. So my home gym, my home climbing gym is way more comfortable. And I know the little nuances yep. of the walls more than I know, like when we go to a new gym and it's exciting to be in a new gym and stuff, but there's nothing like the familiarity of, of having it. And so the more you're in a space, the more you can, the more the space is a part of you and you're the part of the space. And so having somebody on salary means that they're there as much as they have to be. Um, and sometimes that's 40 hours and sometimes it's 90 hours. Um, and, and you know, you get your, your vacation time and blah, blah, sick leave, sick leave and whatever. But the, the general idea being you're committed to us and to the concept and to this functioning to the point where you're giving over this amount, right. And we're willing to give you X amount for that thing. The greater thing is, I hope that people are learning from that far beyond what the day to day is. You know, I don't know how I picked it up, but like how business works, like how do you work the articles of incorporation and how, what, you know, how does a K, uh, a tax form work? I learned that by accident Yeah, and I learned it while I was at work. I didn't, I didn't go to business school or whatever. Those things came to me when they needed to come to me. And who knows if you just open your mouth, what can go inside? I don't mean to, you know what I mean? Uh, That's what she said. Yeah. So if you're just in a location for a long time and then before I was on not to take too too far of a riff, but like before I was on salary at a few other restaurants, it was just a matter of me coming. As soon as the doors were unlocked, I was in that building and I would work for free until I was supposed to clock in and then I would clock in. And then if they were cutting somebody or whatever, I would volunteer to get cut, which means I get less money because I'm hourly. And I would, and this is one, one that I'm speaking of specifically that shall remain nameless, but there was no smoking allowed. And so the only time you could smoke at the restaurant was when you were off the clock. So I would volunteer to leave, quote unquote, leave, and I would get off the clock and then I would go smoke cigarettes and then come back and I would finish all the night prep and everything. It, it wasn't about the money. It was about the ability to be in a space and learn. And, and everybody was above me at that point. Like everybody knew more than I did or yeah. whatever. And so I just absorbed everything that they had, everything. Um, and I'm so thankful for that. Like, I'm so thankful that they let me do that and like, let me, um, just sit there and absorb everything from them. Like I volunteered to come in on the weekends and clean the walk-in and wait for the delivery guys to come. And when the hood guys were cleaning, I'd volunteer for that and they give me a key and I felt so special. Um, and then I would, but at the same time, 
even at like 27 years old, I was so broke that like buying a large pizza from, um, what was it? Brooklyn pizza or whatever used to be over there. Broadway. Broadway. There you go. was like a big deal. So like I would cash my check and I would go buy a pizza because I was so broke. But I was, I, in a lot of ways, like I, I had, uh, just a, just as fulfilling a life save for the, all, all the trappings. Yeah. And I was happy. I had like a shitty mattress in an apartment that I split with my brother and like the walls were bare, but I had the pizza and I could smoke and stuff. And then I would spend all my time at work and I spent also all my spare money on books and knives. What's one, something that you would think that people don't understand outside people that are not in the restaurant business or own a restaurant? Cause I mean, what you're saying is you're live basically living, breathing the business yeah, it's my all whole, the time. That's whole all you do. I do feel bad for, for the people that I date because it's like, you have to have that conversation. Like you, I have to treat my restaurant like a a child from another marriage. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I love you. But at the end of the day, this child comes before literally everything else in my life. If it's sick, if it's happy, if it's his birthday, anything that comes up with this, you know, you know, child, the analogous situation yeah. with this child takes precedent over everything in my life. Like I was, uh, I was at a pop-up, not, not when I was working, I was just eating at a pop-up and I had to take off and go deal with a restaurant that we're consulting for because it was, something was not quite right and the owners didn't feel right about it. So I drove like 45 minutes, uh, on the middle of a, you know, on my quote unquote day off, no real days off, but yeah. And go to take care of it. And I get there and there's like not really that big of a deal. So I handle it and whatever. And then I go, okay, bye. And then I leave. And there's another 45 minute drive back for like a 20 minute yeah. ordeal. And so like that is when you're, and it's the same with a lot of small businesses is like that takes precedent over everything because that's your, that's what feeds your family. Mm-hmm. And I have, I don't have a family family, but I have Seth and Jen and like their paychecks and my paycheck rely on me making sure that everything is correct. And so at the end of the day, it's all three of us together fighting to make sure that this, we keep this baby alive. Um, and with the, with the bear that show the bear yeah. coming out, um, I think it gives people a false sense of like how much romance versus how much, uh, real numbers are involved. Like we're so romantic when it comes to it, but we are hard as coffin nails when it comes to everything. So like, have you seen the bear? Uh-huh. Use I love the example. It. I, I want to do a whole podcast of just me tearing this nonsense apart. But the, the scene where Uncle Nicky or whatever it is comes and goes, hey, I'll give you, your, your brother owed me $300,000. I'll wipe the debt clean. Just give me the restaurant. That show is over right there. The show is over. <laughs> That's it. He goes, yeah, okay, that's fair. The whole restaurant's not worth $300,000. Walk, just walk. Why would you do that to yourself? Because, and, and this goes back to it, all the, a lot of the chefs that I look up to, almost, they come to periods where they almost put themselves in the grave because they stood by it. We don't hear about the ones that failed. There's way more of those guys. Yeah. So if you're in a situation and you can't handle it and you're going down in flames, the, the bear is a total fictitious nonsense. Nothing. Nothing about it is accurate. But the... Um, if you were in a, if you were in that situation, especially the status that he's in, you just walk. I I mean, if my brother had a restaurant and he told and you know I could wa- wash my hands of it and be done with it, it's over. Love you, bro, but you're gone. Yeah. So via con dios, Uncle Nicky, here's the keys. We're done. And so that's like really how it is. Like you have to know. And going back to Orlando Meats, yeah. Um, 
we had we love Orlando Meads. And Orlando Meads gave us so much. I mean, I was on television multiple times because of that. I was uh, featured in the newspaper and, and yeah. magazines and blah, blah, blah. And my name is indelibly attached to Orlando Meads. And it was bittersweet to sign over the paperwork and say, I'm no longer an owner of Orlando Meads. They shuttered very shortly thereafter. So right. I didn't have to deal with any blowback or whatever. Right. But... Um, but to say I'm relinquishing all rights to this thing that I've been working on forever was horrible. And I, I talked to Josh, the old owner of the bison, and I asked how he did it. And I, you know, I, I consulted with a lot of people because it was very tough emotionally. But at the end of the day, uh, you know, in order to do Red Panda, in order to do what I thought was right for myself and my family and the larger culinary scene and what I hope to see in the world, I had to do this. And so I gave up a secured salary. I gave, gave up a building. I gave up all of this stuff for just believing in myself. And, um, so yeah, I, I gave up security for freedom, but you know, the freedom is also to starve. Yeah. So yeah, that, um, that happens to you constantly. That's what people should know. What, what do you think has been your recipe for success? Uh, self-hatred. I mean, I mean that the very, I mean, not quite, not literally, but like, uh, I'm more than willing to sacrifice myself for the good of my art or my work, I guess, if you wanted to go from that. Um, uh, Charles Bukowski said, uh, find what you love and let it kill you. And, uh, I wrote that piece for the, for Orlando weekly. And I think I put something in there. Uh, like that is like, I, I gave myself over to this and there's no end to that. There's like, it's like marriage is for, well, used to be like what marriage is like, it's like, it's forever. And so there's no quit, there's no giving up. And then if you're willing to bash your head long enough on a rock, eventually something will come out. And the, uh, the success that we've seen has been from just, Tirely, I mean, not even tirelessly, just just walking like zombies, 16, 17 hours a day, pushing forward. And in our delirium, some beautiful things come out. I mean, half the dishes that we've come up with, and I, I'm, I don't know if you remember any of them, but like the Deadlights and the Goblin and uh, the Danza, um, the few things that made it on television too, that the, the deep fried lasagna sandwich thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, that comes from us not sleeping being strung out and just and having weird conversations with each other while we're prepping it's like what if we did this what's the most ridiculous thing you can put on the sandwich you know and with in the case with the lasagna thing is um i think it was seth said what what would a sandwich be if it was uh the luigi brothers or something like that or the sandwich brothers (laughs) and we're like okay well what what's an italian thing that we could do like whatever and it took like maybe a week of us hammering out the details and then you know lasagna sandwich and it's on national television the next year it's really weird um so yeah just just give everything vicious oh you know the the fight between uh bane uh, pop culture references the fight between bane and batman in the underneath the um the uh, armory yeah. at wayne enterprises what bane says is that you fight like a younger man like nothing held back like that's how what you should aspire to be like leave everything in the trenches leave everything on the dance floor and just constantly beat yourself up until so until do something. everything do everything at your all yeah everything is hard as physically possible okay is that also would you give that same advice as like if someone were starting out that's like you're all just go go balls deep into it um i was a musician for most of my life i started playing drums when i was four and i finally stopped playing officially i think at like 26 or 27 um and in that time 
of all the musicians I've known, the best ones gave up everything to work on their craft. Um, to they would sacrifice everything in their life, even their their life in general, like literally to the detriment of everything. They would be able to. They were the the thirteen and fourteen year old kids that could sweep pick and that could you know what I mean. They were the first ones to come out and be able to blast beat. And I, I looked at them and I idolized my peers. Yeah, I was like, oh, I gotta get this Iron Cobra pedal. I gotta do this. And just all my money went to playing music. All my time went to figuring out how to play music. Everything. I listened to music constantly. I was trying to, you know, and then when time came around that I could be in marching band, marching band came my, became my whole life and, and everything. Obviously, I did a lot of drugs too. But like everything else was just music. And so, um, you know, you're practicing four hours a day. Then you're practicing with your band and you're practicing in marching band and you're practicing and like literally your entire life is spent and I became I became proficient at multiple instruments throughout the road but like it was always just never stop just never never have a situation where you're giving less than than everything so you say you played until you're 26 I think so yeah what about food wise when did you go in when was the food when did you because it almost seems like you went like I'm assuming that you took that energy from that and then went into the culinary world it's almost like you is that is that so correct the, or well not quite um so i stopped seriously playing music probably around 21 and i was signed to a small label and we put out a few cds with a few bands and um it just didn't pay any money and so <laughs> when you're an adult like yeah. i mean you get beer money or whatever but like you, there's not much you can do and so um we kind of disbanded we do have did a few things here and there and then uh i started working in just like Publix was like my first technically food job i worked in the deli okay and then it was on and on from there um in and out of restaurant stuff uh and tacit restaurant stuff and until i finally landed at a place uh as a dishwasher because uh, there was no other jobs available and i worked my way up there from dishwasher to sous chef and that's that was like really where it became like i quit i don't know is that cool to talk about drug use i quit doing i quit being a heroin addict okay. uh, in order to focus on cooking and um i don't know the right way to say that is that is that okay yeah do you uh, wait was that so hold on yeah. hold on let me rewind here uh-huh. yeah is this one of those where you're like you're like i really want to get into cooking i'm gonna stop doing drugs is that or like it, it was, was i had been i had been shooting up for about five years and uh it was a confluence of a few different things, but basically it boiled down to no one is going to pay me to do drugs, but they're paying me to cook. Okay. And so I don't have time to wait on dealers anymore or go to the dope spot or do any of this other stuff. And if I want to progress in my career, I have to be able to do shit. And I can't do that if I'm nodding off anytime I'm not at work. Um, okay. Which I was able to keep my work life relatively drug free. But um, so I made the decision and uh i didn't even quit quit i just i was uh, i was at holiday with my brother and we were uh we were in my parents garage because we used to like hang out and um i was like you know i think i'm gonna put it down for a while like not forever but like i'm gonna focus on work and i'm gonna take care of this and see where it goes and like that was i don't know 12 years ago or 10 years ago so that but you think after that it was like even more razor focus yeah because i took that addictive person out i mean you see i'm covered in stupid tattoos like uh, I take that addiction and just shove it wherever. And that's, that's it. I mean, the same, uh, I don't call it passion, the same drive that it takes to, uh, 
to deal with your uh, drug addictions, you just export that same energy and motivation and time and put that into exploring the nuances of udon noodles. Insane. You know? Insane. You I mean, it's fairly textbook. Every every great chef is either mentally ill or a drug that, addict or no, both. That is a, the, or alcoholic. Yes. It's usually, that's a drug buddy. Yeah. Yeah. It's usually one of those. I totally, uh, I totally understand that. Yeah. We're all messed uh, up. Yeah. I get it. And you're also in your own world most of the time when you're cooking and yeah. kind of how it is. What, uh, I'll, I'll, two things left. And then, uh, my first one is, Obviously you, you're on like a, you're on this journey where I feel like you, you know, especially both of you both being from central Florida, mm-hmm. um, you know, what is it that you, what's the mark that you want to leave, uh, central Florida when it comes to, when it's all said and done? I mean, I, I know obviously we, uh, were considered the central Florida Orlando is considered obviously the touristy area, but mm-hmm. that we've, we've gotten, I think, and I think you can agree in the last five years or so we've have this kind of culture has been like we've kind of revitalized or kind of created some kind of renaissance people are um, trying food wise. We're at least trying to become not, um, it's not just the chains. Um, I don't even when know it comes that it's to a food. renaissance necessarily, but a natural first crack yeah. at, uh, at our birth. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're being hatched out of the, um, the, the, what the womb of Disney. Cause yeah. we can't, we can't discount, uh, what Disney's done for us. Correct. Central Florida. Yeah. Um, but Seth and I were born in winter park hospital yep. a few years apart. And, um, it, we, I traveled the country. Um, I cooked in Arizona and I cooked in the keys and I've been a few different places and nothing feels like this place. It's uh, it's very interesting and it's very fun and it's it's one of those weird situations where, um, the hole in the wall places can offer you a much more intellectually and soul uh, spiritually nourishing meal than a lot of the fine dining spots. Like I love the fine. I have I have a Luma tattoo on my back. Um. And I loved their tasting menu, and I love what Brandon does, and Prado's cool, and Ravenous Pig, obviously. I haven't made it out to Ava yet. I just went to Doshi. Um, and uh, so I, I drop money on all the fine dining and all the nice places. I'm sure I'm missing a bunch. but Oh, Luke, sorry. Shout out to Jason. Uh, definitely deserves a shout out there. But um, some of the most amazing meals I've had in my life are when, you know, at Chuan Lu at 2 o'clock in the morning, back when they used to be open that late, and like, we're all messed up and we just left service and uh, there's a whole gang of people and you're sharing a meal with the people that you're in the trenches with and stuff. And I think that all of our really amazing food that we're going to see in the next five years is, is born from those environments is born from curious cooks that are going to these hole in the wall spaces. They're putting their mark on the work. They're creating their own voice with the knowledge of what they've enjoyed um, you know, here and there. I mean, Chuan Lu, Chase, Taste of Chengdu, um, La Hacienda, Las Casuelas. Uh, what's another really hole in the wall crazy? Las Casuelas, I mean, it has like an active leak in the roof half the time. It's, they don't speak any English. It's amazing. Um, I love that place. And um, Tacos El Rey. I mean, there's a million places that, that have really, really amazing food, and you would never hear. Not only they're not on the tourist radar, but they're not even on the local radar generally. Yeah. And so we get to enjoy that, and then maybe selfishly we take that information and that joy, and we try to shift it and put it towards the thing. So, like in the next, 
in the next five to 10 years, you're going to see a huge wave of cooks that appreciate the traditional so much. But they said, well, we're in Orlando. So this is how Orlando cooks. And this is how we're going to, and I would love as far as a mark left on, uh, on our, on our town, I would love to be able to develop what people think of as, I hesitate to say this, but an an Orlando style noodle shop. Okay. One that is, um, not culturally driven, but spiritually driven in the pursuit of the noodle. If that makes, if that doesn't sound too egotistically stupid, but like the, if you look at little shops and stuff around the world, you know, you'll have your specialty shops. Like one does Yopo Chamien, one does, you know, uh, mung bean noodle, or one does this or that. It doesn't really matter. Or udon shops, and very prevalent. Um, but our vision <clears throat> is what if you had a shop that has three really, really solid noodle dishes, and then the rest is this cacophonous exploration of what is. So if you show up on a Tuesday or Thursday, we might be doing, um, you know, Super Smash Brothers video game tournament and you buy a bottle of sake and you get a bowl of noodles and you can hang out with your friends and play Smash Brothers. Or you can, you know, we have, uh, and you can you can stop in for a quick bowl of noodles and you can leave and whatever. We're, we're a neighborhood fixture. We're um, a part of people's lives. And that was, uh, I think that being at a lower price point definitely helps our approachability um, because how many people can afford to go to, to some of these tasting yeah. menus all the time. Um, but the, uh, but the quality's there. Yeah. And, and I think that if we can, if we can translate what we see, the beauty that we see in the world, if we can reflect that and translate that in a way that, that, that speaks to our experience, we can leave a mark that says, and, and, and again, I, I'm hopeful that we can create a template to help other restaurants say, we have a vision for, I mean, it doesn't have to be noodles, but like say we have a vision for, oh, I mean, it's not even, not even us necessarily, but like in the same vein as like jam hot chicken, right? The same thing. Andrew was like, we're doing this. This is the thing we're doing. It's the only thing we're doing. <laughs> and I mean, to, to amazing success and like he deserves every bit of it. He focused on what he was supposed to focus on and he did it. And I think that going in a larger way, or I don't know, have you traveled the world at all? I traveled, yeah, I traveled. Have you ever been to France, like to mm-hmm. a crepe shop or any yep. of that stuff or like in Spain with yep. like, you know. Okay, so like they'll do like one or two things, whatever. Um, and I think we need more of that that's not just a taco spot or not a taqueria or not just, um, you know, a lechonera, like where they just, oh, here's a bunch of chopped up pork, great, whatever. It's delicious, don't get me wrong, but like a more focused environment, a more driven environment. Like what if down the road we had a whole just fermentation restaurant? You love that. Idea. I would love it, but it's not, it's not financially viable correct, now. Correct. I mean, maybe for another 10 or 15 years, it'll take before people catch on or if they do at all catch on to that level where that would be a viable. But I mean, imagine a restaurant that their entire, um, catalog, their entire restaurant and their raison, their raison d'etre is we're going to ferment the world and bring it to you. I mean that that's exciting to me. And so if we could if we could go, hey, let's let's stop with the way let you know, TGIF has fucking everything. Yeah. They have quesadillas and they have ramen noodles and whatever yep. on their whole menu. What if we did the opposite and we were so focused that we just did this one thing perfectly? And I think that that going to that direction, maybe we can help people move on to that. Yeah, I like oh, that. that, that I good? love it, dude. 
I love right. that. Good. Where uh, where can people find and eat Red Panda now as they pop up everywhere? Uh, we're popping up in pretty much everywhere. If you follow us on Red Panda Noodle and Red Panda Noodle Bar, those are two different accounts. One is uh, like a personal account so we can put music and stuff on it and do whatever we want. And the other is like a more business oriented account um, that has more followers and engagement, blah, 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 whatever. Um, but yeah, we list, we list wherever we're going to be a few days in advance and then day of, um, we're at red light a lot. We're at the Monday night market a lot. Uh, where else do we go a lot? Uh, Ivanhoe park brewing. We do the, um, shout out to Jordan from Orlando parking lot party. Yep. Uh, we, we stick with him for the weekend kind of stuff a lot. That's good, man. Yeah. I, I absolutely love, uh, I love talking with you. I love eating your food. Um, I've had it all different ways. It's a funny cause my, I'm not going to lie. My wife was like, well, is he going to bring noodles when he comes? I was like, no, but we'll have noodles. Yeah. Uh, we did have, get to have red Panda and we absolutely loved it. So I'm looking forward to, to hitting up some more of your, your spots. Um, thank you so much for, uh, for being on. That's our show for today. Thank you so much to Elliot Hillis. Of Red Panda Noodle for being on and having lunch with me. Definitely make sure to check them out online. If you go, I expect some pictures um, and definitely reviews of the good food. Let me know if you eat the if you're going on the on the I guess the traditional side or if you're going more adventurous. What you have um, when you do go? If you enjoyed the show, definitely make sure to subscribe. If you want to support my show or support me, check out my brand Deli Fresh Threads. Tell your friends. Thank you. Until next time, keep eating sandwiches and follow your passion. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>